Welcome, everybody, to Season 4, Episode 8 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Simon Brown. Simon, thanks for being here on the program with us. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited. Now, you're joining us uh, all the way uh, from from the UK, and, and so it's uh, it's later in the day there. Half your day is gone. It sounds like you've had a busy one so far. Yeah, it's 4 p.m. here. I'm not sure what the time is there, but I've recorded an episode for my podcast, edited a couple of others. So, yeah, it's been productive. That's great. And for anybody listening, uh, Simon comes with quite the resume. You do a lot of different things. Uh, we were just chatting about you mastering bass guitar, but when he's not playing bass guitar, he is the host of the Past Lives podcast. You've spent uh, a good majority of your life becoming a specialist when it comes to hypnosis, near-death experiences, uh, the afterlife, and past lives and reincarnation. So where did your journey all begin? Like, where did you, where did you initially find an interest in topics such as these? Oh, you know, I, I think I've always been interested I remember 10 years old getting books out of the local public library and it was, you know, maybe Bigfoot and ghosts and UFOs and just anything supernatural. So I just read lots of books over time and it kind of streamlined. So I became less interested in Bigfoot and more interested in, you know, the afterlife and UFOs. So it, it's it's uh, taken me down this path. I don't know if you call it a spiritual path or a, an investigative path. But the thing is, um, even though I've got this great interest in afterlife and the spiritual side of things, I was, did not grow up in a religious family. So there was no real religion in my life. And the neighborhood I grew up in, people just weren't religious. We just never talked about it. And so religion is not part of what I do so much as looking for evidence. So I, I want to look at these near-death experiences where there can be evidence that their consciousness really left their body. And so over the years, since I was 10 o'clock, I've read 10 o'clock since I was 10 years old, I've read so many books and had all sorts of experiences of my own. And over time, you know, seeing lots of mediums and psychics and channels and being taken through past life regressions. So it's been quite a journey. You know, and everyone's journey begins somewhere. You know, it's it's kind of funny how our interests, you know, they, they ebb and flow and they change over the years. And, you know, for some people, maybe they started more interested in past lives and reincarnation, and then be, they became more interested in Bigfoot later on. But you've gone the opposite direction. It, it must have been a calling for you, you know, to, like you said, not grow up in a religious family where this was talked about very often and still you know you felt drawn and compelled to to research it seems like at the core you're a bit of a truth seeker yeah yeah i'd, I'd say that and you know it's weird because my older brother if i mention anything of these subjects that i do in the podcast he, he immediately says no no don't shut stop, you're creeping me out shut up don't talk and so we're, we're quite opposite on those sides of things and it, it it's it's a thing where I suppose I, I, I think the universe could be more exciting and more interesting if there are these things happening that we just can't explain. And then you, you get into that and you're like interested in, say, the UFOs and these sightings and alien abduction. And then you you hear about ghosts and you visit a medium and this information comes through that's from, like, for me, it was my grandfather who died when I was very young and I got this information from the medium and I had to say to the medium, 
I, I'd never heard of that. I don't know what that is. And it was only later I talked to my mum about it and she said, oh yeah, you know, this, you, that's all correct. So it couldn't have been a thing that the medium was picking it up for me through cold reading or she was uh, psychic and she was picking up psychically and it wasn't coming from a deceased person. But that's, that's an interest. And I was like, it's like fascinating to find this kind of evidence. And then it's only later you start to think, hang on a second, that, that, does this, this really means that the afterlife is real and that when we die, that's not the end of us. We're not annihilated, that our consciousness continues. And everybody we've ever loved who's died, their consciousness is carrying on somewhere. So it's it's like you you go for that thing truth seeking is this uh, evidence of something happening and then you take another step after that and think hang on a second I wasn't really trying to look for this it's not like I I go to bed every night thinking of death and being terrified of death and I, it's it's just a, a byproduct of like you say the truth seeking. You know, and I, I suppose death is the inevitability of of having the privilege to be alive, right? It's the <laughs> it's the price of admission we pay to take a spin on this thrill ride called life. Um, by the way, my older brother is exactly the same. You bring up anything yeah. about this, and he's ah, I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about you know, let's talk about sports or the weather. <clears throat> um, now. Yeah, I've been a psychic myself for the past 15 years, you know, helping people uh, connect with loved ones. And, uh, you know, everyone has their their opinion on the afterlife. But like you, I've been a truth seeker trying to uncover evidence that there is life after death. And it's it's really interesting, the concept of reincarnation. You know, not only do we live, but we get the chance to come back time and time again. Have you found, Simon, that you know, past lives affect people in the present, whether it's, you know, fears and phobias that we carry into our current life or maybe a talent or interest or a predisposition, you know, part of a person's personality influenced by the past. Yeah, there's so much there. There's so much, whether it's uh, people have birthmarks that seem to be related to an injury they had in a different life or bringing talent through. And there's also what I do with the past life regression therapy is that I take people into past lives and we find an origin point for something that's a problem in this life. And for some reason, it's bleeding through from the past life and causing a problem in this life. And I don't really know why that is or if it's if it's supposed to happen, because I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, if, say, like I had a client and she could not be a passenger in a car. She's okay driving it, but if she was being taken somewhere, she'd have to lie down on the back seat with a blanket over her head, and she would freak her out. And we went to this past life in the 1950s where she was young, and her boyfriend was driving this car, and he crashed the car and he died, and she was badly injured in that crash. So you could see how that experience might make you freak out to be a passenger in a car. But then it seemed to come through to this life. And so we found that. And then we did this uh, process that I've got about clearing negative energy from past lives. But it, it's also a thing I wonder about is it's the reason that that's bleeding through into this life, a glitch. There's something wrong with the system. Or what, did it happen because it's supposed to happen? It's part of their life plan for this life. 
And then if it is part of the life plan, if me correcting it is interfering and I'm messing things up for her. When, you know, she did feel better after that. It's not like she was completely cured of this thing of being a passenger, but she did feel better for it. And then there's that idea with the birthmarks and uh, birth deformities. And I've, I've got a book right here. I, I won't show it to you because, you know, a lot of your people just hear this. They can't see what I'm doing. But it's written by a guy called Dr. Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia. And it's called Where Reincarnation and Biology Intersect. And there's a 100 cases in there. And there's photographs and diagrams showing the person talking about their previous life when they're a child and then part of what happened to them in the previous life there's something on their body that relates to it and one of the, the most striking ones is this uh, kid who said he was a teacher and he was in India and he said that he knew his wife from the previous life and where he lived and what the school was what his name was and one day he's on the bus with his grandmother and he's, they're going past this village and he starts tugging at her saying, like he's only four years old. He goes, this is it. This is where I lived. This is where I lived. So she agreed to get off the bus and he grabbed her by the hand and he led her through the streets to this house and said, this was my house. And they knocked on the door and the woman answered and the little boy introduced himself and said, this is my wife. I was this gave the name. And they went in the house and he says, hey, you've, you've moved things around. We used to have the chairs over there and the cupboard over here and <laughs> out the back of the house in the yard, there were kids playing soccer and he accurately picked out the two children that were his children from the previous life. And he went into a lot of detail and there's just stuff from this obscure family. They didn't live anywhere close to them. There's no way he could have known this stuff, but he did know all these little things. He complained to his the wife of the previous life that she'd sold his guns. He opened the cupboard and said, hey, what's my guns? <laughs> and she said, I sold them. What are you doing selling my guns? Because apparently he was a bit of, um, bit of a scoundrel in the previous life, even though he was a school teacher, and he got involved with some bad people. One morning on the way to work, somebody came up behind him and killed him, and they shot him through the head. And so he's, he's got a birthmark, the boy, a small birthmark on the back of his head, a big bath birthmark on the front of his head, and they are in exactly the same spot as the bullet in the previous life, entering and exiting. And Ian Stevenson was able to get the autopsy report and see on that exactly where the bullet went and match it up with this child's head. And it's just amazing that he knew all that stuff, this kid. And he didn't talk about his birthmarks at all or the bullet coming through his head. It was only that the parents said, oh, yeah, he's got these birthmarks. So stuff comes through from past lives that is really unpredictable and can be quite amazing. And I've just given you a couple of examples there, but there are thousands of them. And it just makes you think there's definitely something going on. But, you know, even Dr. Ian Stevenson, he said, he wouldn't say, yes, this is proof of reincarnation. He's just like a scientist, and he was saying, this is highly suggestive of reincarnation, and that's the most likely explanation. So the the whole thing of reincarnation, how it works, it gets so complicated. We, we, I'm just starting at the, lo the low level with you here, you know, like reincarnation 101, but it, it 
goes into so much depth and uh, it, it's I'm still learning about it myself even after all these years. Well, it's a, it's a complex subject to say the least. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a complex subject and the implications are huge, right? Because, I mean, life after death in and of itself is, is a profound notion, but the thought that we can come back again and on some level we can retain the, the memories of who we used to be. Now, in my experience, as, you know, as a professional intuitive, it seems that the, the sweet spot, so to speak, the, the magical little window is when children are three and four years old. Um, I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of cases from parents where children have these past life memories or the ability to communicate with deceased loved ones. And more often than not, it happens when they're three and four years old. And perhaps that's the magical little, you know, intuitive window because they're finally old enough to verbalize what they're thinking and feeling and sensing, but they're still young enough that they have that raw, um, you know, uninhibited intuition. They haven't been programmed by society to believe a certain a certain way. Uh, kind of makes me laugh that Ian Stevenson had to take the scientific approach when there's so much evidence and still he couldn't openly admit that reincarnation is true. Uh, but yeah, there's cases from all around the world, all walks of life, you know, people from every religious background, some not religious at all, uh, some families with no working concept of past lives or reincarnation, and yet they have these three- and four-year-old kids who are talking about who they used to be. In such detail, you can fact-check names and dates and locations and, and records to, to verify and validate. It's, it's astonishing. Um, one uh, case that comes to mind is the, the famous case of James Leininger, uh, who you know visited, uh, uh, it was like an air show, and he saw an airplane, and he's like, I, I recognize this. I flew one of these you know, in the Great War. And you know, come to find out, the family did some digging, and this child uh, recalled in great vivid detail who he was, where he lived, the name of the plane that he flew, uh, in a certain area of Japan, he was drawing pictures of planes shooting each other and crashing into the ocean. They actually had enough information that they tracked down the family uh, of this child's past lifetime. And here it is. They have a video of, you know, this six-year-old boy, I think he was at the time, and he's he's talking with a woman who looked like she was 80. And he says, this this lady was my sister. And he, he goes on to mention all the other siblings who had passed away. He mentioned... A, a painting, a family painting that nobody else knew about other than this this 80-year-old sister of his from a past lifetime. It's, oh man, it's it, it literally gives me goosebumps. I want to go back for a second, Simon, to what you said earlier. You know, why do some people have this ability uh, to remember who they were? Why do some people have these these memories or these traumas or these talents? How How is the past influence influencing us in the presence you use the word a glitch is it a glitch that we're able to remember it and that kind of leads us down the rabbit hole of you've probably heard of this as well but this whole online sensation of glitches in the matrix you know reality and the laws of physics seeming to break down or behave differently you know some people claim we're living in a glorified video game simulation and you know, maybe when we come back again, it's it's the equivalent of Super Mario getting another life in the video <laughs> game. <laughs> now, yeah. we can only speculate, but 
there are, you know, videos, if they're real, around the world of these glitch in the matrix type moments. You know, people seeing their doppelganger, people seeing their exact double, um, people seeing ghosts walk through walls. You know, what if the paranormal is just, you know, the, the laws behaving differently inside this simulation? Um, I don't know. But it is it is fascinating how the past can influence the present. Have you seen any cases, Simon, in your hypnosis sessions where an individual seems to have a talent or a, a skill set that was carried through from another lifetime? Like, you know, maybe they were a, a master pianist in a past lifetime and they took to it really naturally this time around, for example. I haven't seen that. I got to say, I haven't seen anything that kind of specific. I have had times where, because we, we, during the session, we'll encounter the spirit guide and we can ask them some questions. And they'll say, what you were doing in the previous life was preparation for this life. You had to learn about this thing so that when you come to this life, you've got that in you that, that uh, it might be something to do with just being very determined, having a very strong will. And in, in the previous life, you didn't use that. And so you know what it's like not to use that, and that will spur you on in this life. And this is coming through on a subconscious level. So I've, I've seen that kind of thing go on, and it gets weirder as well, because I, I, I took somebody into a past life, and I never tell them where they're going. I just take them to that point where they enter the past life, and then it's, I was like, okay, where are you? Because I've got no idea where they are. And this guy was, said he was on another planet, and what he was doing there was preparation for his life on Earth. And he was doing this um, kind of weird psychic thing, and they were aquatic creatures, and that they were psychic, and it was like sending some kind of positive energy over the planet, and that by practicing that on the past life, he was supposed to be doing it in this life, just bringing positive energy to the planet. So I haven't seen those specifics, like playing the piano or, or something, but uh, other stuff comes up. Past life on another planet <laughs> kind of makes you wonder if there's some sort of a cosmic graduation program where, you know, that was the equivalent of elementary school and maybe Earth is the equivalent of high school, for example. But, yeah, it is, it is uh, interesting to say the least. Now, am I right in saying that, you know, your past life's podcast has been downloaded two and a half million times? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it grows and, um, it's just something where you try and be consistent, isn't it? And you try and find great guests and you do your research to put your questions together. And every episode's an hour long and it's an interview with somebody who's had an amazing experience or somebody who researches these things. And it talks about all sorts of things that could be evidence of an afterlife. And it's been a real education for me now, doing so many episodes, talking to so many people and reading their books. And when I went into it, I thought, oh, yeah, I know a lot about this stuff. But really, now I've, I've learned a lot more. Oh, man, the, the world's such a big place. You can't possibly learn at all. But we can sure try. And that's that's half the fun. And, uh, you know, going back to, you know, the past influencing the present on some level, even if it's subconscious, from what I've gathered, you're a Formula One racing fanatic. So 
Makes me wonder, maybe in your past lifetime, you were driving those, uh, you know, early Model T cars really fast, you know, in preparation to be a, a <laughs> racing fanatic nowadays. Or maybe you were a rock star playing bass guitar last lifetime as well. <laughs> well, I, I was taken into a past life regression like decades ago, and I got this flash of uh, this image of this car. It looked like a 19, like from 1915, 1920, and it was going down this dirt road real fast. And I was a child in the back of it with three other kids, and we were laughing so much because we thought this was so fast and so exciting. Well, maybe there's something to that. I, I've I've heard and, and seen documentaries that the earliest form of racing was actually in the United States. They had these uh, bootleggers. You know, they, they'd load up the back of their pickup trucks with illegal liquor and they'd run from the cops and it almost became like a spectator sport. So uh, hopefully that wasn't the case for you. It sounds pretty dangerous. But yeah. now when you're not dabbling with uh, past lifetimes, you... You talk a little bit about UFOs, right? That's another interest that you have is the UFO phenomenon. Yeah, well, I've had a couple of sightings myself, and it, it's, it's, I mean, I was already interested in it. It's not like I saw it, and that's what started it. I, I was driving home one night. I'd done a gig with my band west of London, and I was driving in. It must have been like 1 a.m. on a Monday morning. I was going along this motorway called the M40, which is quite a big motorway, and I used it a lot. But at that time in the morning, there were no other cars. And I'm driving along, and you know, we're on the left-hand side, and up ahead, I could see a really bright light off the side of the motorway. And there were some trees in the way, so I couldn't quite see what it was. But I knew this motorway well, and I was thinking, that's weird, because there's no buildings there. Maybe there's some emergency repairs they're doing, a burst water main or something. And I slowed the speed right down to like five miles an hour. And as I, the trees uh, moved out of the way, I saw this craft there shaped like a, a rugby ball. And it was the size of a massive house. It's like 25, 30 feet off the ground. Didn't move an inch the whole time. And it's just a couple of hundred feet from me. And I'm driving real slowly and I'm leaning forward over the steering wheel looking up at it. And it had like one half of the bottom was covered in all these pin spot red lights. And there was a really powerful beam of light coming from the other end of it pointed at the ground. I mean, it was a really powerful sort of spotlight. And I, I think about it and I think those red lights would probably be like LEDs that we have. But this sighting was 30 years ago. I didn't think we had them back then. And it was completely silent, and I just looked at it and stared at it and then just kind of drove off and went home, which to me seemed a little weird when I think about it now because I have such an interest in UFOs, and you think, why didn't I stop? Why, did, why didn't I you know, have a, a better look at it? I don't remember feeling scared or anything. And I, I had another sighting at another time where I saw a big orange ball of light about the size of a car and again that was really low and didn't move an inch the whole time i was looking at it it was completely silent so it's like that sort of saying somebody who's really skeptical might say oh well i'll believe it when i see it but i have seen stuff and so i'm much more likely to listen to people that see things and so my podcast the alien ufo podcast over 70 episodes now and I've talked to so many people about so many different aspects of the UFO side of things. 
and we're starting to see connections between both sides here that there's something psychic going on there's something going on with consciousness and ufos that relate to what near-death experiences and the afterlife and something seems to be connecting up there so that that's fascinating to research as well you know in my experience it almost seems like people who are intuitive and have psychic experiences are more likely to, to have a ufo sighting in the first place so yeah, it does make you wonder if there's something going on there. Um, you know, it almost makes you wonder, are the, are the aliens drawn to those individuals, you know, or are those individuals more likely to see a UFO just because they're more in tune and they're paying attention to their surroundings? Um, it's hard to know the, the exact answer to that. But anymore, you know, it seems like UFOs are just showing off. I mean, I, honestly, I know more people who have seen a UFO than those who have not. And it's yeah. it's just becoming so commonplace. You're seeing it on the news. You're seeing government uh, agencies finally admitting, yes, these things are real. No, we don't know what they are. Uh, which, for some people, I think that's concerning and alarming. And they, they take the, the fear approach of, well, if we don't know what they are, maybe they're dangerous. But you have the other group of people who say, you know, look, if, if these extraterrestrials that are so advanced wanted to harm us, they already would have. You know, so perhaps they're just observing us, uh, you know, collecting research and data. We can only speculate. But going back to the, the one that you saw that was, uh, you know, massive and, and the size of a rugby ball, unless it was a blimp, you know, suspended by, you know, a, a lighter than air craft, it defies the laws of physics because unless it has a propulsion system and wings and a tail and an engine, something like that shouldn't be in the sky, correct? Yeah. And you do that, what you might call a mental checklist when you see it. You think well, it's definitely not an aeroplane. It can't be a helicopter, you know, because the helicopters make so much noise when they're close by and couldn't see that it would be a hot air balloon. I mean, the question is, why would you be flying a hot air balloon lit up like that at one o'clock in the morning where no one would see it? And also the, the red lights that I don't think we had the technology in those days. And, uh, you know, there's these reports of alien abductions and there's this really bright beam of light that comes out of the craft. And that's what I saw, a really bright beam of light come. Maybe I was like seeing an abduction in progress and I was driving past. But they, they do say that um, you don't see a UFO unless it wants to be seen. They show themselves to you for a reason. And that's just one idea of, of uh, this kind of thing is that maybe it's part of my path that uh, as there's a researcher called Joe Montaldo, he says, if, they, if you see a UFO, it's because they're, they're, they're giving you a slap on the ass. They're saying, hey, pay attention. Yeah, and that very well could be. And there does seem to be a psychic connection. Makes me wonder, you know, because you, in hindsight, you can't believe you just went home, like, and went about your business. It almost makes you wonder if there was some sort of a, a spell or some sort of subconscious projection they put on you. You know, hey, no big deal. Just just go home. Don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, you have these other people. I've I've heard reports and I've watched documentaries where people are having a UFO experience. They're observing something in the sky you know, that's, that's unusual. And there, there does seem to be some sort of telepathy because these people will mentally say to the craft, wow, this is really beautiful. Come closer. And then it will, 
Or, you know, they'll say, move to the left or move to the right. And the thing acts accordingly, almost as if it can hear you on some some conscious level. Uh, my sister and a friend of hers actually observed a whole fleet of uh, UFOs. <laughs> they looked like pinpoints of uh, stars in the sky, but they were moving erratically in circles and they're doing figure eights and kind of showing off for the better part of two hours. And they even got video footage of it. But it was accompanied by a very peaceful feeling in their case. Much like yours, you didn't respond with fear. You kind of responded with curiosity. And uh, yeah, it does make you wonder if maybe you were watching somebody get abducted. But if that's the case, Simon, do you, do you feel a little bit jealous? Do you wish they would come study you or would that would that uh, terrify you? Yeah, I think it would probably terrify me. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you wake up at 3 a.m. and there's a couple of aliens standing at the foot of your bed, that's that's going to be scary. But maybe if I was, you know, in a busy street, and or as in a park somewhere, there's people around and there's a couple of ETs just appear. Maybe it wouldn't be so scary. It uh, depends on the, you know, the, the scenario. And also you, you hear about different ETs have different reputations for the, the way they treat people. Um, I, I did interview a woman who's a, a psychic medium and she said she woke up one night standing next to her bed and there were four of these grey ETs at the foot of the bed. And this really freaked her out. And she looked round and her body was still in the bed. So it was like she was having an out-of-body experience. That does it for this episode. If you want to hear the full version of this interview, please consider becoming a subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. It's just $4.99 a month. And subscribers not only gain access to uncut and extended versions of the normal show, but more often than not, they actually gain access to an entirely separate full-length episode not available to the general public. Thank you so much for being a part of the So Strange community. And next season, I'll be interviewing some fairly high-profile individuals. And I also have a few surprises up my sleeve that you won't want to miss. Uh, meanwhile, if you have a strange story to share with us, please send me an email. I'm currently rounding up a posse of people to appear on the season finale, which is quickly approaching. And as always, it's going to be a mega-sized final episode, and goosebumps are guaranteed. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of So Strange.